One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to the first Curzon Film Podcast of 2019. This week we'll be discussing Yorgos Lanthimos's royal comedy The Favourite and Catherine Corsini's decade-spanning drama An Impossible Love, as well as hearing from the great Mark Gatiss, who talks to us about his role in The Favourite. I'm Sam Howlett, and joining me in the royal court are two people who have been fighting over my affections all morning, <laughs> Lady Kelly Powell. Hello. And Sir Stephen of Ryder. Good, sir. Happy New Year to you both. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. Welcome back. Thank you. It's great. I'm looking forward to it. Already mm. already thinking about my top 10 for really? the end of 2019. <laughs> we just did this. Yeah. We just got over this one. Um, so before you hear from us, uh, let's get straight into it here from our guest this week. Since launching his career with the League of Gentlemen, Mark Gatiss has become one of the UK's most prominent actors, writers and comedians career highlights including co-writing Sherlock for the BBC and starring in shows like Game of Thrones, Wolf Hall, Doctor Who and The Madness of King George on in the West End. In The Favourite he plays the Duke of Marlborough, husband to Rachel Weisz's Lady Marlborough and we sent our very own Jake Cunningham to speak to him during last year's London Film Festival. So we are delighted to welcome Mark Gatiss onto the Curzon Film Podcast and uh, we're talking about The Favourite, your favourite film. Yes, I haven't seen it yet. It's already <laughs> my favourite film. Um, the title alone. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the new one directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, he's a very productive guy. This is the third film in four years. Uh, wondering before you signed on to this or before the favourite crossed your desk, what had you seen of Yorgos Lanthimos before? Uh, the Lobster, and I've now seen uh, Sacred Deer, but uh, I I knew very little about him, and he just asked to have a cup of tea with me. He was staying very close to where I live, uh, editing his, well, his previous film. And well, these are my favorite kind of things because they're not auditions. They're just chats at the end of which someone says, it's just happened to me on Christopher Robin. Uh, Mark Forster Skyped me in Cardiff. And I thought I was going to read something or something. I think we just talked about Winnie the Pooh for about 20 minutes. He said, do you want to do my movie? I went, yeah. So, <laughs> and it was the uh, same with Yorgos. We just had a little chat about the subject matter. And uh, he's a huge fan of Nighty Night. And um, and he just asked me if I wanted to play the Duke of Marlborough. So I'd be delighted to. So that's how it happened. And when you, if you're coming off of just having seen The Lobster... And then Sacred Deer to me, they're quite they're quite worrying films, quite troublesome. I'll That's why I said yeah. <laughs> no, I think I mean he's obviously a very singular talent. I think he's a fascinating man. He's he's lovely man. He's you know much younger than me, but 
really wonderfully eccentric, I found him. He's just not at all what you'd expect. He has a very quiet, dry sense of humor. Mm. Sort of looks at you in a slightly funny way. And uh, I, I love I love the period. I think it's fascinating. It's a story that isn't really told mm. and yet sort of shouts out to be told. And then I thought the script was fascinating. And, and the central, you know, triumvirate mm. the three three amazing parts for three amazing women i thought this is a really interesting project so yeah well that that's uh deborah davis and tony mcnamara's script and that's the that's the first time that yorgos is not adapted that's right work, yes yeah a fascinating choice yeah, yes and interesting he said something like um he said i know this is a very unusual thing for me to do but i just couldn't resist it i think mm. And what do you think? Do you see anything in the script of the favourite that you can see in, or maybe going back into the Lobster or Sacred? Day? What do you think is that that through line? I don't know. I don't know. If I, that's a very good question. I don't know. You know, if there's a if there's anything in that sense, it's but except perhaps that the choice of it is is sufficiently odd to mm. therefore feel part of Yorgos's output. Yeah. <laughs> it's a. I mean, he's it's a sort of screech turn. He just hasn't. He's not done what you'd expect at all. Yeah, which I, which in that case fits entirely with his back catalogue. <laughs> yeah, and uh, as as a writer yourself as well, is there anything that you might you might pick out of this script or any script I suppose that that instantly turns you onto it, like a few pages in something about maybe the dialogue and the favour or the setting that I think you it, want to latch onto? I think it was the sense that it wasn't going to be a you know just a big uh, straightforward period drama. Mm. Um, and actually, I've not seen it, but looking at the trailer and the fact we shot it in natural light, you know, and stuff like that, it was like, oh, this, this feels like Barry Lyndon. Yeah. It's, it's invoked something different, very cinematic, but also I think just the um, the unusualness of the period. In fact, it's an interest, this is an interesting story. Um, Angels, the costumiers. Uh, uh, I think we, we had to go there for a few things, I think, but mostly Sandy, Sandy Powell made them and Angels were over the moon because no one ever does Queen Anne. And now that someone's done it, those uniforms, those red coat uniforms, etc., they'll last for about 50 years or 100 years. It's like, finally, someone's done Queen Anne. We could do those again. Um, yeah, I think it was the usualness of it. I think it's not mm. just, you know, it's not it's not Henry VIII again or anything like that. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating period. And it's something that I really don't know much about. And... It's, well, Queen Anne is furniture. Mm. That story is, I mean, she was a short-lived monarch. But it's kind of tragic, the 17 miscarriages, and, and she had a pet rabbit to represent every one of her dead children. And it's all true. That's extraordinary stuff. But more than anything, the, this power relationship is incredible, and that Sarah Churchill was effectively running the country. She was an incredible woman. And then that authority is challenged by this interloper yeah i mean it's it's a it's a story that resonates because it still sort of happens you know it does not not just not i don't mean in royal circles but in politics there's a sense sense of there's a court isn't there around any prime minister mm. or president and people fall out of favor and people become new favorites and it i think that it just means it it feels resonant to us because we can recognize ourselves in it and what's really interesting is uh, it, it seems mad, but you, how often have you seen a period drama that has three leads that are all female Absolutely. but aren't relegated yeah. to a housewife? Or that a was cook? a hugely impressive thing to me. Uh, that I thought, well, you, I've not seen this before, yeah. and, and none of them are supporting. Know. No, no, it somehow no. has three leads. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it, that's the story. Mm. That's, that's why you know, 
the blokes just uh, I just go off and fight the battle of Blenheim <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so so Marlborough yourself you're you're adorned with this quite fantastic outfit this wig um, and as you said uh, people might well if they just spotted you in costume uh, they might think this is another stuffy period drama, but it's quite maniacal. It's quite chaotic at times. Um, I wonder what what that energy was on set. Well, it was it was a very interesting experience because I was, we filmed it at Hatfield House, which I filmed it about thirty five times. <laughs> and in fact, Yorgos said he said I think initially there was a plan. He want he very much wanted it not to be the familiar locations, but I think it's just budget and mm. the usual things coming. But but again, he shot it very interestingly and and, and not at all what you'd expect. So. It was it was very it was a very creative environment. Lots of interesting. In fact, there was one thing I remember distinctly. I come in to see Rachel Vice to say goodbye because I'm going off to war, and it was on me. The camera was on me from some distance, and Rachel was in front of me. And I naturally adjusted to find the camera because that's what you do. And Yorgos came over and said, "No, don't don't worry about that. Don't don't worry about that." And it was a, it was slightly sort of unlearning a few things right. because he shoots it differently. So it's not just going to look like a, a an over the shoulder shot, a normal over the shoulder shot. It's going to be different. And if if I'm in the way of someone, we'll work that out. Or you know, so that was very interesting. And it was it was fun. It was it was just fun and and um, slightly chaotic in the sense of. You know, we did this big scene. Me and James Smith uh, and Nicholas Holt uh, of duck racing. And um, which replaced cockfighting, which you weren't allowed to do, sadly. Uh, I don't mean that way because you don't want, <laughs> but they, you're not even allowed to pretend now. So I think this duck racing was invented for the, you know, it's, but it seems incredibly authentic, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, maybe they did. Uh, that was a very interesting couple of days, that was. And it was funny that they're, they're called Indian runners, they're actual. They're ducks that run, and they look like um, they look like those the umbrella handle from Mary Poppins, or like the ducks that have been grown in a test tube. They're so long, and can, very comical. They had little ribbons on them, and you just set them off. But of course, they don't really want to do anything. So someone had to run around throwing tuna after them. And I think after about the seventeenth hour of duck shit and tuna aroma, I think we'd all slightly got over that. Yeah. <laughs> But um, uh, yeah, so there was there, there was a sort of chaos to that. It was like it was we were just doing it for real, really. Mm. I mean, short of actually laying bets, we were sort of just chasing yeah. these ducks. Well, right look, there's a in that exactly that sequence. There's a wonderful <laughs> close up of yourself where there's almost there's a roar coming out of you at times. Oh yeah, well we did. You know, I mean, you kind of get, we got favourites and uh, yeah. ducks, and I mean, it's one of those things where you could legitimately, if that if the cameras have been sort of hidden, mm. you could have just done it. I did a thing years ago with Julia Davis about Fanny Craddock and we did this whole, this huge montage sequence in the Rivoli ballrooms, which was meant to be all these nights out. And it was, it was full of extras doing brilliant, like sixties dancing. And we, we could never find, we never knew where the camera was. And in fact, by the end of a very long evening, it was like we'd had a night out in 1965. Mm -hmm. You know, it really was. And there's some, that is something unforced about that, which is what, this had you know eventually yeah. when there's enough atmosphere and people really going for it then you are essentially doing it you know well i was thinking from a more technical side of things the there's a lot of fisheye wide angle camera mm -hmm. here combined with a lot of slow motion so you're almost working both on a macro level mm -hmm. and a micro mm -hmm. level and so i think that brings out 
a real authenticity in the performances that it's almost capturing everything from as big to as small as possible. Yeah, and it's, again, as you say, it stops it from feeling stately, mm. which which too many period dramas... I mean, this is something I've always uh, done in my own work. And, and uh, I remember when we did the Victorian Sherlock, the director said, have you have you noticed something? And I said, I know what you're going to say. All the extras are walking slowly because it's the olden days. And it's people do do that. And they get an idea that everyone moved like they're in an old film. Mm. And it's like, well, they're just the same as us. And some people were in a hurry and some people weren't and some people fell over and et cetera. So it's about, it's avoiding those cliches, I think, yeah. very much. And the, the, it's a mucky film as well. You know, there's a lot of violence and a lot of actual mud and soil and bodily fluids mm. and sex. And it's all authentic, yeah. Well, in my uh, extensive research before this, I found that uh, on the cast list for IMDb, your your small screen partner, Horatio, the fastest duck in the city, is directly paired underneath <laughs> you as well. <laughs> so, it, so it should be. <laughs> <laughs> when the film premiered at uh, Venice, Olivia Colman, she went home with the Best Actress Award. And I've, I've never met her or anything, but I, ju- I immediately had this immense sense of pride that that had happened. She's the queen. Yeah. Now she's just, always the queen now. And <laughs> just watching, after seeing the, the, so many fantastic performances in British TV shows, uh, g- getting rewarded on that international scale just felt massive. Uh, when, like, when you heard about that, did, the, did you, were you also overcome with that feeling of this contemporary who's just smashing it? Well, like she's... That? you know universally acknowledged to be brilliant she's also just an absolutely lovely person and it couldn't happen to a nicer person yes i was i was chuffed to bits i also thought well that's a good sign i think this film (laughs) this film might be rather good um yeah and now of course she's just moved she's working her way through the queens i'm Mm. about to play george the third and working my way through king's Maybe Queens one day, I don't know. But it, maybe it, it tends to happen if you play one, you start to play the rest of them. So she's going from Queen Anne to Elizabeth II, and then who knows? But yeah, she's. I was I was really delighted for her, and uh, yeah, it's a very good sign. The film seems to have gone down really well, which is oh, lovely. Yeah. Outside of this film, uh, I saw you tweet that the, the latest or the new series of Doctor Who is the first time that you don't know what's happening for mm-hmm. 13 years. Uh, after being inside the workings of huge fandoms like Hugh and Sherlock, what is it like to actually go back to just being a fan? It's lovely. I mean, I've I got a bit cross this morning because I found out the titles of a couple of the upcoming episodes and I don't want to know anything. And watching it completely fresh, I honestly, I've, I hardly, I've, I've closed my ears to everything, so I hardly knew anything. And that was just wonderful. And then, I've, you know, the, the, the sheer surprise of the new theme tune and the new TARDIS and, and then actually what it's about uh it's really delightful uh i'm very pleased i've done it (laughs) brilliant mark thanks so much thank you very much ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right, so the favorite then. Uh, I think it's safe to say it's Yorgos Lentimos's most audience-friendly film to date, mm. uh, but still weird as hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, it stars Olivia Colman as a... A mentally unstable, capricious, gout-ridden Queen Anne, whose closest friend and confident Lady Sarah of Marlborough, played by Rachel Weisz, runs the kingdom from behind the throne. But this arrangement is threatened by the arrival of Sarah's cousin, Abigail, played by Emma Stone, who begins a bitter rivalry with Sarah and battles her for the Queen's affections. So this script was first written by Deborah Davis in the 90s. Oh, uh, in the 90s, yeah. was it? Oh, wow. that. Yeah, and I don't know if... I don't know what that original script looked like because it has since been rewritten by Tony McNamara. Um, but it's, yeah, I don't know what shape it would have taken in the 90s, a film like this. Mm. And it's really difficult to tell. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's still got that Lanthimos kind of stamp all over it. Well, that's it? what's so interesting. And that's maybe where we should start with this discussion. So let's talk about it as a Yorgos Lanthimos film. Mm. Uh, this is the first film he hasn't written mm. that he's directed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But... Do you still think it definitely has that oh, yeah. Lanthimos vibe to it? Oh, yeah. 100%. Did, did you? Yeah. Because I, I, I found, I think you can tell it's not his script. Um, because, and not in a negative way, I think this is actually his his funniest film. Mm-hmm. I think mm. it's, I, for me, it's safe to say it's his funniest film. But only in the way that it actually, it made me genuinely laugh rather than made me uncomfortably laugh and kind of disgust as a lot of his other films have done um but i think that there's the the dialogue is the biggest change for mm-hmm. me um from from any of his previous films mm. in the we, with killing of a sacred deer and the lobster all the way back to kind of dogtooth we had this kind of stilted emotionless dialogue yeah, it's kind totally. of non-acting yes it's almost like he gets actors like rachel weiss and nicole kidman and colin farrell and says so you know how you're really good at delivering dialogue don't do that anymore yeah don't yeah. don't be believable. Don't say things that real people would say. I've not written it that way. Mm. I want you to be really weird and act like you've never met any of these people before. Mm. And, um, and there are two so things off-putting. There are two things that that does. It does throw you off kilter. Yeah. And what it also does is um, it allows you to kind of figure out or put your own stamp on what they're saying. Yeah. You you don't um, fill in the gaps with the dialogue. You fill fill in the emotion. Yeah. And I think that's a really weird unsettling mm. thing. This film doesn't do that as much. There are there are moments of mm. it, especially in the first kind of opening exchange, weirdly, between um, Olivia Coleman and Rachel Weisz. The mm. whole, uh, if you love me, love has limits, it shouldn't. It's very kind of killing of a sacred deer-esque. Yeah. But uh, after that, when Emma Stone comes in, it does kind of pull together this more kind of emotional but I still think that vibe. it has that it has those awkward pauses at where the humour sort of sits with the dialogue mm. um, mm. and it's still off kilter in a way I mean it's super anachronistic uh, for a period piece and that was deliberate yes um, and I think that that sort of was his uh, I think that they kind of was were like we're not going to try and make it a believable period piece like obviously it's it's, it's artifice and it's uh and it's satire. Um, and I think the relationships between the three women, uh, there are moments of those of that classic sort of... Uh, moments. Moments, moments. Moments, for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. moments. Um, and that, that the, the anachronistic nature of it is really interesting to me because I'm not a big fan of that kind of stuff. Um, Smells Like Teen Spirit and Moulin Rouge, the hip-hop songs in Django, they don't 
work for me mm. um <laughs> and uh the dancing scene in this i think is oh, the most the biggest example of that I don't know I if I loved it. it. I, I found the film hilarious. And uh, the person I was watching it with also found the dancing scene absolutely hilarious. But for me, uh, I'm not sure if it worked. I was engaged with it, but mm. I don't know if it was funny. And if you compare that to the scene in, in, in the dancing scene in Dogtooth, I don't know if you've seen Dogtooth. I Dog haven't Tooth, actually seen Dogtooth. But the yeah. dancing scene in that is so weird and makes you kind of like, you know, yeah. it disturbs me. It's my skin crawl just thinking about it, but it's very funny at the same time. Mm. Uh, and this is just very, very funny, I think, you know. Yeah, I think it's solely there for laughs, isn't it? Yeah. And this yeah. is, his, yeah, you're right. This is his funniest film. It's it's a pure comedy. Because um, when I was like writing the introduction for the show, I initially had it like a royal drama. I was like, it's definitely not. I think it's, it's, a, it's a tragic it's comedy a, in yeah, a way. Yeah, it's a tragic comedy, yeah. but it is full on comedy. Yeah. Every oh, scene, so funny. every yeah. scene has laughs. Yeah. yeah, it's so, so funny. And a lot of that is, is once again, down to the actors, I think. Mm. You know? Well, I think the, the, that the sort of absurdity of this film comes in the anachronisms, yeah. uh, which I think was obviously a, a choice, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, rather than making it the sort of um, absurd, like in a modern day, like killing of a sacred deer, yeah. the absurdity yeah. comes in different ways. And the surrealism comes well, in different it's, ways. It's, but here it's surreal because they're using this weird mix uh, of... Yeah. I don't think it unsettles its audience, its audience like other films. I don't think it wants yeah. to. I don't no, think it's no. trying to do that with this one. Um, there was a, this really interesting balance between comedy and kind of a disturbing kind of uh, paranoid horror thriller kind of thing going on with some of his other films. Yeah, mm. uh, or, yeah or even the like the tone with, is very yeah, different in this. Even one, with yeah. the lobster, like body, yeah. like a body. The lobster is really quite horrible in yeah. a lot of it, and the scary whole concept film. of the lobster is quite yeah, yeah. body horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a scary film mm. like, yeah. to think to think about psychologically. You know, the, the, he doesn't really lean into this with the favorite. Yeah. Instead, no. he has gone full straight comedy. Like this is kind of a crowd pleaser in a weird way yeah, yeah. but it pleased me yeah. I thought totally, it was a really yeah. really pleasing film and yeah. it's still yeah. um, a good really good film yeah. we saw it in pretty much assault saw that screening at Curzon Soho mm. uh, like a Saturday afternoon and everyone was loving it mm. yeah big laughs yeah mm. really yeah. big laughs what got yeah. the biggest laugh the dancing the did dancing get a huge was a laugh good one. yeah um People loved like lines the, of dialogue. People, the duck really race, people uh, yeah. loved the duck racing. I really liked. <laughs> I really liked the, the the thing that made me laugh the most was when he says you should be stripped and whipped, and she says like, "I'll be waiting." Yeah. 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 Turns around and she's like, "Oh, did Nicholas Holt. No, I was gonna say Nicholas Holt. Oh, he's so good. He's really good. The funniest person in this, maybe actually. I reckon. Yeah, he's so funny. Yeah, yeah. He's. I. I'm not the biggest fan of Nicholas Holt, but I think with this, he he knocks it out of the park. It's so funny. Um, his facial expressions, his campness, his insistence that uh that that Joelle wears a wig to seduce. Yeah. But all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm. I'm glad it got some good big laughs though. Yeah. It's really. Yeah. Really big laughs. It was good. Um, so let's talk about those great performances then. Um, so you've got three women that pretty much share screen time, I'd say. Yeah. I don't think I'd call Ian, any three of them supporting yeah. actress, I think. I don't know, mate. I don't know. I feel like it's Emma Stone's arc. The film is Emma Stone's arc, but I could be wrong when I say that. But I feel like she could easily be all three. Well, because you oh, messaged yeah. you messaged me last night. You know, <laughs> yeah. What I did you message yeah. me? I, I said Can that you, I was word for word. <laughs> I said that I was going to be standing Emma Stone as the best performance in this film, <laughs> and I tr truly believe it. I think yeah. that I think that all three of them are excellent. I, yeah. I do. Um, I think um, I think um, Olivia Coleman slots effortless, effortlessly oh, into the role so of the queen. Great. 
um, with very little regard for her kind of physical appearance in it as well. She just looks gross. Well, committed. Yes. Yeah, yeah <laughs> very really much committed. so. Um, oh, the cake. The, oh, cake, the cake is amazing. horrible. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, the, the reason I think it's Emma Stone's film and the reason I think she kind of walks away with the best performance is because um, I was kind of taken aback by how vicious and kind of un- unnerving she was. Because um, she's obviously a great comedic actor. We know that yeah. um, mm. through a lot of the films that she's done. And I think the kind of physical comedy um, and timing comes very naturally to her yeah but what i didn't expect was for her to be using that kind of amazing face that she has to to give so many different kinds of performances in this film because the film is about performing as well it's about yeah. kind of of course yeah, manipulation. The performance of, yeah exactly. um, and she i think she does it so so well uh and again is someone that i think has very little regard for her physical appearance in this mm. film which mm. contorts her face a lot and things like that um and for me her arc is the most interesting one um and the most oh, but it's the most classic as well yeah uh. it's, it's a very sympathetic role i think too mm. although she's kind of a mean manipulative person we know where that comes from we do no, learn you see, her i think i think oh, well there's elements of that but i think what what they all encompass is uh you you sympathize with them but you still understand that they can be cruel oh, yeah. uh, and mean and manipulative, and they all have those uh, those facets to them. So even though um, Rachel Weisz's character, um, Lady Marlborough, is like atrocious in the beginning, you hate her. Um, you sort of s- slowly start to sympathise with her mm. as she as her sort of. Uh, her hold on on the queen sort of wanes, mm-hmm. um, and she kind of goes into this uh, decline. Um, and then the the opposite happens, I think, for for me with with Emma Stone's character is that you first sympathise with her and you get and you understand where she, her motivations. And then as she starts to get what she wants, she becomes a mean person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you you don't like her so much towards the end. Yeah. I, so I think... opposites happen to me. They're kind of parallel. Yeah, stories. But, but all three of them are women who are being manipulated by men um, in in like their kind of role, and I think that they, they, they end up manipulating each other by lashing back no. out. I think you don't think so. Well, obviously, like, of Emma, the Emma time, Sto- yes. Yeah. Like, obviously, that is what the context of the film is. But what I really like that he does with this film is that the men are idiots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the men are bumbling they're morons. Absolute idiots, yeah. and, and they're being they're Nicholas really Hull, being pulled uh, and tugged d- by Jerry the from the, the thick of it. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've seen him for ages. <laughs> I was so glad when he was there. <laughs> I think what, what makes... What... He's also playing Jerry from the thick of it in the film. Oh, that's the only character you can play, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, they, they, I think you're right. Um, but what the, 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 thing, the way that they're manipulated by men isn't in a cunning, smart way like they're doing. It's in a way where Emma Stone's character was literally sold into slavery, sex slavery, yeah, by I her think, father. Yeah. And she's had enough of that. She wants out of that kind of life. And yeah. she's willing to do anything to kind of move, yeah. move into an upper class. The film mm. doesn't give any of that any uh, room. It's funny, um, yeah, but it's funny, mm-hmm. you're right, because that's all sort of rushed through her backstory mm-hmm. a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so is the fact, you know, in Queen Anne, they talk about how she had 17 children, children. that never grew up. That's her. That's her kind of... But again, that's kind of... There's a couple of moments, I suppose, scene, of that. But, yeah, no, that is. That, that's one of the most sincere scenes. Get these things out very quickly they, they do. don't need to linger on them they no, don't need to think of these women of their past it wants you to focus on what's happening to these women and, right and now and how much power they actually yeah, have yeah. Exactly. wield now um, and I think I mean purposefully they left out King George I mean the um, Queen's husband George mm-hmm. I think is his name um, he was around during this time mm-hmm. uh, historically speaking they left him out um, 
And that, that's a good thing. And Marlborough, was, the Lord Marlborough was gone. Mark Gatiss. Her, uh, Mark Gatiss yeah. was gone most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nicholas Holt's kind of the... They're yeah. totally secondary characters. Um, and also Nicholas Holt's kind of asexual in the film as well. Yes. He <laughs> finds it hilarious that anyone's attracted to each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. He's like, oh, is she mom. attractive? Okay, I guess so. <laughs> and I'll, make yourself pretty. A yeah. man must be pretty. A man yeah, must exactly. be pretty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the different moles he had? Yeah, like, it got bigger various and parts bigger. of his face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, some really, I mean, if, 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 we, if we want to talk about the kind of other elements of the film that really work, the makeup is incredible. Oh, and the costumes. Yeah. The costumes are yeah. incredible oh. in the way that period dramas often are that they're, they're not dull they yeah. look amazing well um, i i heard uh, particularly uh, i heard that sandy powell um sp- uh, specifically designed the costumes to have with modern fabrics with oh. contemporary fabrics so she said the shapes the shapes and the cuts of all the dresses were true to the period but all of the fabrics were were contemporary fabrics she used african prints wow. in some of them that's and really I, it's uh, yeah it was like purposefully done that's what i mean is like the the film is is purposefully contemporary. Yeah, it's a, well, it's in a mix of authenticity yeah. and inauthenticity, and, yeah, exactly. which is yeah, yeah. really interesting. Exactly. But as well as that, the the lighting I think in the film is is stunning in parts. Seeing it, yeah. I saw it at Curzon Mayfair last night, and um, the the kind of inky backgrounds in a lot of the scenes uh, in the depth of kind of yeah. the, the the house mm. um, with the 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 lighting, the natural lighting, just looks amazing. Mm. You know, on the mm. big screen. Also, what I really like about the film, and this kind of plays into the whole the fish the fisheye lens and the contemporary costumes. This is a period, British period drama that is not stuffy. Oh, doesn't yeah. feel like dusty or, oh, you should watch this film. It's very good. doesn't mm. feel like anyone's telling you that. No, no. It mm. just feels all re- also genuine and modern. Which is, yeah. what's I think, what's really impressive and something that's been overlooked a little bit is that like there's quite a, a dense kind of political, social, governmental subplot in this mm, film. Mm. That, well, not subplot, it's part of the plot. That's yeah. why these women and why these men are kind of trying to manipulate each other. Um, but it never, ever feels stuffy, Mm-mm. ever, even though we're looking at kind of like very old... Um, a very old debate between two political parties, yeah. the opposition, the royals, mm. about whether they should sue for peace. Yeah. In other films, that could really like fall flat, and that could be the flat moments in the film. Yeah, yeah. I liked all the stuff with the funny bits, but then when they were talking about politics, I got bored. Yeah, but yeah, it's not like, like that yeah. at all, is it? It's it's the the politic the political moments are still really funny. Yeah. So who's so who's getting the nominations here, and who's anyone winning from this? Well, I know that because I thought they'd put in all three of them as supporting. Okay, but they're putting Olivia Coleman in as lead, mm. best actress Olivia Coleman, which she did win at one of the major awards yeah. uh, uh, f- uh, festivals. I think it was Venice. And the other two is supporting, huh? Yeah, I mm. think I think that's what's going to happen. I can see Stone winning supporting, actually. I think she's so good. I yeah. can't see Olivia Coleman winning for lead. Oh, she's so good. She's though. brilliant. She's really, really I great. I think it's this, the, the actress category this year is a bit crowded. So you've got Lady oh, Gaga, Yalitza yeah. Aparizio from Roma, who's a... Glenn oh, Close, yeah. baby. Glenn Close. Glenn Close. That's what I'm talking about. Our, our, our Lady yeah. Glenn. Yeah, our Lady Glenn. That's, yeah. that's, that's who I want to win. Me on. too. Our Lady Glenn. Oh, I love, oh, I love that the movie. wife. I want to watch it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so that is The Favourite, which is out. Well, it's been out for a few uh, days in London, but it's now wide on the 4th of January. And you can revisit other Yorgos Lanthimos films on Curzon Home Cinema. We've got Alps, Dogtooth and Killing of a Sacred Deer, uh, for which Jake Cunningham spoke to Yorgos Lanthimos for when we did our Killing of a Sacred Deer episode last year. So do check that out. Listen. Also on Curzon Home Cinema, we have An Impossible Love. Mm. Catherine Corsini's Un Amour Impossible. 
very good thank you yeah um so it has been <laughs> out of pause then you waited for yeah. me to compliment you <laughs> yeah. come on guys um so you may have already seen this uh it, so we released it on cousin home cinema a week before its cinema release but now it goes wide across the uk um so this is an adaptation of the novel by Catherine Ango. Uh, Catherine Corsini directs this beautifully made drama in which Virginie Efira plays a young woman whose affair in the 1950s with a callous man results in the birth of a daughter and a complex relationship that continues across decades. Uh, what were your initial reactions to An Impossible Love, guys? Yeah, I quite liked it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. Um, I was very Great. engaged. I was engaged with it. Like, I, I, I wanted to see where it was going. Um, I sort of had a... I'm not going to spoil it, but I sort of had an inkling of where it was going. And really? Was, yeah, kind of. Interesting. Kind of. Mm. I, I mean, maybe it's because I was expecting it. I was like, oh... There's well, something in me that was like, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And it didn't, it didn't, and then it did. The author, so, uh, Ango, is, yeah. is pretty famous in, uh, in, in France. Yeah, she okay. wrote the book that Let the Sunshine In is based on. She did, yeah. yeah. And she's quite a controversial figure over there as well. Yeah, oh. In she France, is. she's well known. So the, the thing you're talking about is, yeah. is, is very kind of publicized in uh, France. Okay. Um, so I doubt they were trying to hide it. In a way, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, um, that being said, I think it's I think it's a really uh, acting wise. I think it's a really strong film. Totally. Yeah. And I think that the the director Corsini obviously thought that it the the film needed time to to breathe, um, and these characters needed time to breathe yeah. in order to have the impact uh, that the final kind of act does. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. Um, yeah. Which I think and and and. and you know, there are it always leading up to this finale in this film of the the mother and the daughter. It's about their relationship, um, and it's about kind of how it's more about the mother than the daughter, which is what I find fascinating yeah. about the film. Is that the there's some very intimate details of her mother's life that's yeah. narrated by the uh, by the daughter, yeah. um, but it doesn't become about her. Um, it always sticks to the to the mother, and it's mm. a very important subject that that the film's about as well. So. Yeah, and I feel like it's also a film that that uh, is told in absences. Um, the, like a lot of the drama happens, a mm. lot of the main parts of the film, like even like the birth or like whatever it is, is 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 told post factor. It's mm. like told after the fact. So mm. uh, it was an interesting way of 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 uh, exploring that subject yeah. matter. Yeah, I saw this on a Friday morning a while ago, and I had absolutely no idea what it was about. And yeah, I re- I really liked it. Mm. I think it's really really um, challenging. Um, I think it's really beautifully shot. I think it looks. Same, yeah. Oh, it's got incredible. that beautiful like it's heritage. Glow and, yeah, yeah. It feels but without French being cinema. like nostalgic mm. or like totally. Mm. It feels of the period. Yeah. like the, the the first first half of this film was stunning. It was because yeah. a lot of it's yeah. I think set in summer, and yeah. the French know how to shoot like the greens mm. and blues yeah, yeah, yeah. for summer. It looks you know it looks like uh, it looks like something like the Green Ray and uh, uh, the way that yeah. they shoot it. And also just how subtle the aging and the and the sort of yeah, yeah the and the costume changes. I was going to mention yeah, the exactly. makeup because yeah. old age makeup often looks horrendous on mm, film. It mm. looks so, so distractingly mm. bad. Yeah, like if a young person is other like I. Like, I love Edward Scissorhands, but the opening when Winona Ryder's an old lady is awful. Like, her makeup <laughs> is really bad. Yeah. Um, but the make- if, if you compare her to Winona Ryder in Stranger Things now, if it would look like yeah, <laughs> someone should do that. <laughs> um, but the the makeup here is so. I suppose it's because it is gra- it's a gradual mm. shift, and it's a long film, mm. so you really feel like these characters are aging in front of you. Yeah. But the way they change Virginia Fira's face, I mean. I don't know how old she is, but I'm guessing they make her look younger 
and they make her look older. Yeah, mm. that's my guess. And she's definitely just... got some like chubby cheeks when she's yeah, younger, yeah, they, and that yeah. kind of thins out yeah. when she gets older. It's very clever. Makeup. It's really clever it makeup. Clever, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, I believe very. I feel. I feel like it was uh, yeah. authentic. It like felt very believable. And the the sort of third act revelation that happens, mm. I didn't see it coming at all. Oh, really? Yeah, it really took me by surprise. Yeah, and I think it's kind of a twist in a way. It is I a mean, twist. But calling it, it a twist, I think, sensationalizes it in a way you shouldn't. Yeah, but exactly. It's like it changes everything about the film. You, like, you can rewatch it in a different. Rewatching light. the film, yeah. and you're thinking, "Oh my god, this thing is going to happen," and like yeah. this is quite startling and quite. Mm. For, for me, it definitely this film definitely kind of took from. Uh, other films that I've seen very recently. No, I won't mention one of them because it does kind of uh, hop yeah. into what the film's about. There's one p- particular sex scene that's quite. It looks unsimulated yeah. when you're watching it. Yeah. Um, and it reminded me very much of like Catherine Brayat's stuff mm. and the way that it's shot in the darkness, kind of the intimacy of it. And I think that those scenes, I really like it because a, a lot of time people say that sex scenes aren't fully necessary in films. But for me, there's a kind of intimacy emotionally and sexually that helps you realize why this woman was so infatuated mm. and so involved with this mm. man yeah. mm. and how that kind of you and know blinded her to her, a lot yeah. of things um i think it's really useful in a really well well-made sex scene yeah actually. i agree yeah. yeah i think that's sort of indignant of the whole film as well just mm. really beautifully craft, crafted mm. really beautifully made nice mm. to look at but also with a really kind of tough undertone yeah and it really, pulls you in this film yeah slowly. it really slowly reels you yeah. in and yeah. by the end of it you've really been put through the ringer of yeah. a lot of different Ob- feelings and like i'm sure <laughs> that the the, uh, the director knew that making such a long film two hour 20 minute film of mm. a kind of emotional family drama is a risky thing to do mm. yeah. she's not sitting there thinking like oh it needs to be two hours 20 minutes no for sure but i think she knows very well that with by making it so long and making it slowly pull you in it has yeah. more of an emotional impact mm. absolutely so that is uh catherine corsini's an impossible love which is out now in cinemas and on Curzon Home Cinema. Uh, but if you head over to the blog, you may not know the name Vasilis Marmatakis. Of course I do. Well, let me tell you, <laughs> he is Yorgos Lanthimos's poster designer. Oh. He's designed every poster for a Yorgos Lanthimos film. And if you, I mean, for me, the, I mean, if you walk in, on the tube or anywhere the past few weeks, you've seen those massive favorite posters. Mm. With that, like great. the beige background, it's so and it's so good. And like the one where they're sitting on um, Olivia Coleman's face, like measure with a measuring tape, yep, really good. <laughs> and yeah. then last, the Killing of a Sacred Deer posters were astounding. The black yeah, silhouette thing, um, was yeah, brilliant. Yeah, so so cool. Yeah, so he talks us through um, each design for each of those films for the posters. So if you're oh, into that cool. kind of stuff, mm. head over to the blog. Mm. Uh, and if you've got any thoughts on the favorite or an impossible love or any other recent releases, do let us know by emailing podcast at curzon.com for next week's show or tweet us at Curzon Cinemas. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Acast and Spotify. You can subscribe, leave a review and a comment. You can follow Stephen on Letterboxd. Yeah, Hydra815. You can follow Kelly on Letterboxd. Kelly P triple E. And I'm on Twitter at Sam Howlett underscore one. So it's goodbye from Sir Stephen of Ryder. <laughs> Au revoir. Goodbye from Lady Kelly Powell. Bye-bye. And it's goodbye from me. Thank you very much for listening. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ 
the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.